Welcome to City Church. City Church is a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. I shared something with my wife that I saw online a couple of days ago, and it was on the first day of the year, and someone posted on their Facebook, I thought it was hilarious, they posted, I have not bought a single thing from Amazon all year, and it was the first day of the year. Did you get the joke? Not really. And I thought it was funny, so did she. Listen, this is the first sermon of the year. And with the first sermon of the year, I want to bring a challenge to our church. Because next Sunday, we are going to begin a discipleship journey together that will last 21 days. And I want you to be a part of it. If I was to name this morning's sermon for those of you here worshiping with us in the sanctuary or worshiping at home online, the sermon title would be Grow Together, Resolve Resolve. And my prayer for this first Sunday of the year is that today we would all resolve to grow in faith in Christ together. And we'd make that decision today before the end of the service. That individually we would make that decision. The word resolve, if you were to look it up in the dictionary, says this to reach a firm decision about, to make up one's mind that you're going to do something. That's what it means to resolve. Now what's interesting to take note in our culture, we have a lot of New Year's resolutions. How many of you have made any? You've made one, have you? Surprisingly few. I just saw a wife look at a husband like, you should have. You didn't, but should have. Well, as I've mentioned many times the first Sunday of the year, that there was a polling done of 35.1 million Americans about New Year's resolutions. And they found that by January 12th, most people had already stopped. Didn't make it two weeks. But those that did make it, here's what they discovered about their resolutions. The first thing is they had a clear plan of action was clear. The second thing that they noticed about people who carried their New Year's resolutions through the entire year, second thing, is that they had challenging and measurable goals. Measurable goals. Those that were challenging. Things like, one of my New Year's resolutions is I'm going to walk this year. I love to walk, but I'm going to do it more planned. I'm going to put out a goal. My goal is to walk 100 steps a day. (laughs) See, a goal has to be challenging. It can't just be measurable. It can be challenging. You know, it's one of those where I'll probably get something that you clip on that counts your steps, and then I'll tape it to my dog's tail and get a few thousand extra steps. But not only is there a clear plan of action and challenging and measurable goals. But here's the third thing that they found is when you do it with others. Now, this is where it gets fascinating. That with others doesn't mean that we'll meet on the Ravana Trail and walk together. That's not what it means. 
What it means is you have others that know about your plan, they know what your goals are, and they encourage you and hold you accountable. Those are the people who by the end of the year have walked out their New Year's resolutions. And here's what they found. The people that did this actually upped their goals by year's end. In other words, they had kind of superseded their goals to the point where there was a goal readjustment at about six months in in order to up the level of what they were doing because they had achieved it so much ahead of time. But again, my prayer for us is that we would resolve, every woman and man that's here, that we would resolve this morning to be people who are going to truly walk with Jesus together and become a part of the Pursuit 21-day devotional. Now, if you have not picked up the book yet, you can pick it up as you exit. Here's the, the good news. I just found out from one of our church leaders that we had purchased a couple hundred of these. That was my understanding, and they're all gone. I think there's two left, but we're gonna get a bunch in tomorrow. So we've given away a lot more than we had thought but you can also pick it up on Kindle. That's what I did. I like reading off of Kindle. You can pick it up on Kindle and have it that way as well. Now, as I think about the idea of us growing spiritually together, spiritually together, I do believe that there has to be a plan, there has to be goals, and we can do it with others. Some goals obviously can be too big or too distant. I was sitting over here on the front row and I looked over and one of the college students sit, sitting up front has a water bottle and on the water bottle it says 2022. I'm assuming that's the year you're gonna graduate. Has that been a goal for you? Yes. It has been. And is it a goal for your parents? Yes. Yeah, very much so, right? <laughs> big investment. And they're encouraging you and holding you accountable, right? Yes, exactly. By the way, what that means is they're paying. Precisely. There we go. We're in this together. But thinking about it spiritually, here's what's fascinating. A lot of people have goals for their health and their finances, but not spiritually. They don't have goals. And so what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to bring out two biblical heroes from Scripture and I want us to learn from them, two heroes, one from the Older Testament and one from the Newer Testament. Look, the hero from the Newer Testament's easy, Jesus. But the Older Testament, as I was praying about and thinking about who can we learn from from the Older Testament, a guy by the name of Daniel was the one I felt led to look at, Daniel. And I know there are many of us who maybe have never read the Older Testament. Maybe you're checking out faith. You're new to a faith journey. You're not really sure who Daniel is. I want to give you just brief backdrop before we jump into his life. The backdrop is this. Daniel was a young man at the beginning of the book of Daniel. There's a book in the Older Testament written after him. And what we know is he was a young Jewish man. He lived about 600 B.C., 600 years before Jesus was born. We know this because there are characters listed in the book of Daniel, and we know exactly who they are. The primary one, other than Daniel, would be the king. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. 
And Nebuchadnezzar is actually still world famous because he was the king of Babylon. And he built the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, which is still known as one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. And so Daniel was, in essence, a contemporary of King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel met King Nebuchadnezzar, but not under the best of circumstances. As we're getting ready to read, we're going to discover that Nebuchadnezzar and the armies of Babylon conquer and crush the Jewish people. They decimate Jerusalem and the city and the people of Israel and those that they don't slaughter, they haul off 900 miles away back to Babylon. It's interesting to note biblically that King Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon and in the Older Testament after the book of Daniel and the episode with Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Babylon becomes kind of a metaphor for evil. It's very fascinating. Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians and how they live and how they behave and how ruthless they are, they become the metaphor for what stands against God. And then you end up reading the book of Revelation, the last book of the Newer Testament, and Babylon shows up in the book of Revelation, and now Babylon is literally personified as a person of evil whose goal and purpose is to destroy Jesus and the church. It's very interesting. And so here we're going to be reading where Babylon or the Babylonian Empire is introduced to us in the scriptures in the book of Daniel. Daniel, by the way, becomes famous because he has three friends. And his friends' names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How many of you have ever heard of them before? There we go, most of us have. And uh, they're famous because they get thrown into a fiery furnace. They actually are captured with Daniel. There's four of these young Jewish boys, Daniel, one of the four. They get captured, they get taken to Babylon. And because they will not worship, these three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, will not worship the Babylonian gods, they are thrown into a fiery furnace. And what's amazing is, and if you've never read the book of Daniel, do it today. It's an easy read. It's actually exciting to read. You'll learn a lot. But what's fascinating is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get thrown into the fiery furnace, and they don't get consumed. It's a miraculous protection of God. But what else is very fascinating is there's a Christ appearance where suddenly the people who are stoking the fire look into the furnace, and there's a fourth person. And it says, and he looks as unto a son of God. And many biblical scholars believe it's sort of a pre-Christ appearance of Jesus. Very fascinating. But as we look at this text, we discover not only do his friends become famous because they won't worship, so does Daniel. Daniel refuses to bow later on in the book of Daniel after what we're getting ready to read. And he's thrown into a den of lions. And the scriptures tell us that God closes up the mouths of the lions. But where we're going to read is from the very beginning of the book. We're going to read 10 verses. And in it, I want us to think about our own resolve spiritually as we start the year. So let's look at Daniel, and we're going to use him as an example. Daniel 1, verses 1 through 10. Daniel's training in Babylon. 
Let's read, and we're going to learn some things about him. Scripture says this. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Uh, Pause button. How many young men? It's you. We just described you. Handsome, right, smart, everything together, no physical defect. Reading on, it says, He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Kind of sounds like college, doesn't it? Now, one thing I want you to think about is it says that the king assigned them daily food And it's fascinating, and it's from his table. Now, could you imagine what that buffet looked like? King Nebuchadnezzar is the most wealthy, powerful man on earth. And what happens for three meals a day is these young men, whoever get chosen, are going to be brought in, and they're going to sit at the table, and they're going to eat from the best food that the king of Babylon has. Can you imagine that buffet? That buffet would make the wood grill look like nothing. Now, as we read on, we discover something about Daniel, and here's where I want us to dig in. It says this, verse 6, among those who were chosen from Judah, there was Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the chief official gave them new names, To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Verse 8, but Daniel resolved, there's our word, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion on Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Now, let's go a little bit deeper into the setting. Daniel, along with his three friends, had been picked to eat at the king's table every day. They've been shown favor by the king. They sit at the king's table. They are 900 miles from home. No one knows how they live. Everyone else around them, they're thrilled. They're at the king's table. They can eat all they want of the best of the land three times a day. 
Sounds like when my wife's grandmother would cook meals for us. Italian food. Sure, there was some Italian food in this buffet. But then there's verse 8 of Daniel 1. It says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked to be exempt. It's weird. Now the word resolve that's used here is actually two separate Hebrew words. The first one is sum or sim. And it means to put, place, or set. And then the second word is leb, which is heart, or in Greek is cardia. It's where we get cardio from in English, meaning the heart. So these two separate words in the NIV are brought together. The word that means to put or to place or to set on your heart or to set the heart is brought together in one English word, resolved. Now when you look at the story, here's what's fascinating. For those of you that know the Jewish law in the Old Testament, you know there were laws about what they could and couldn't eat. We call those kosher today. Certain things Jews can eat. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible never says that when Daniel sat down at the king's table and saw all the feast of the land, that it was unkosher so he couldn't eat it. Believe me, of the huge spread in front of him three times a day, he could have picked and chosen what was kosher, what was within Jewish law, and he would have been fine. That's, the text never says that. But what is believed to be true is here's Daniel. He's in a foreign land, among foreign gods, with foreign people. He's already been given a new name. There's a move afoot to erase his identity of who he is in God and to bring him to something else. It's clear. Get rid of their names. Name them new names. Elevate the brightest and best. Get them literally at the table of the king and in three years will completely transform them into someone else. And what does Daniel do? Daniel gets to the table, and when he looks at the table, there's something in him that knows. If you're going to survive as a person of faith, there are times where you have to push away from the table. Not because it's sin. Not because there's the law of God against it. You just know you will lose yourself and everyone around you doesn't even view it as the wrong thing to do. It's not sin. It's not as though there's some law that says, don't eat from King Nebuchadnezzar's table. That's not it at all. But there's abundance. There's incredible abundance. He's already got a new name in a different culture. No one's even going to know if he lives one way or the other. And yet what he does is he looks at that smorgasbord he looks at the king's table, and there's something in his soul that tells him, Daniel, you need to push away. You have to limit yourself. A lot of what we're going to take a look at on the 21-day journey called pursuit is coming to the understanding that we have to know when to say when and just simply say no. Not because it's sin, 
But there's something in me that says to me that if I'm going to follow Jesus and if I'm going to be what God wants me to be in 2021, I'm just simply going to have to push back from the table. I don't do it to make anyone else look foolish. I don't do it for anyone else's sake. I'm just doing it because God has spoken to my heart about pushing away. I've thought about people in my lives or in my life that have done similar things. I have a close friend of mine who graduated from a very prestigious university. And one of the things you get is a ring. And when you meet people, you look at their ring. And God spoke to this person for them alone. Take off the ring. It's too much of your identity. It's too much of who you've become. Take it off. Put it aside. It's not for anyone else. It's just for him not for anyone else. But I believe that sitting here this morning, every woman and man, while you're sitting here, the Spirit of God is already beginning to prompt you about an area that you need to push back from. Maybe it's sin that you need to push back from, but I think for many of us, it's just that sense that there's an area where God says, just to remain as to who I want you to be, I want you to push back from the table. It's not sin. In fact, everyone around you can do it and follow Jesus freely. But for you, you need to pump the brakes and to push back. What I do know is, this is what fasting is all about. I don't know if you've ever fasted or not. Fasting is something that I do regularly. It's a spiritual discipline. Jesus said, when you fast, not if you fast. He said, when you fast, don't let everyone know. Don't look gloomy. Don't go to work and go, oh, I'm so hungry and frail because I'm fasting and I'm getting close to God. So I haven't put on deodorant or showered for a month just so you would know how <laughs> spiritual I am. That's literally what the Pharisees were doing during the time of Jesus. But when we look at this, we discover that Daniel pushed back from the table. And he did it because he knew God had spoken to his heart. What about you? What about me? There are certain areas that aren't sin, but they'll overwhelm us if we're not careful. One of the things is that I think about is the YouTube vortex that I have fallen into at times where I'll click on a video about Jesus and then I'll end up watching a cat beat up an alligator for four hours. <laughs> you ever have that experience or am I the only one? Our next example as we move into the Newer Testament is Jesus. And as we move into the Newer Testament, there's this one phrase about Jesus that grips me it's so easy to pass over. But just like that one phrase where it says, Daniel resolved not to defile himself at the king's table. And by the way, the rest of Daniel's life was hinged on that one commitment. God honored that. God did amazing things in Daniel's life. And you can hyper-connect it back to that one commitment that looks so benign. It's powerful. But there's one phrase about Jesus that has always gripped me. 
And it's found in Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. It's just brief, it's short. And here's what the text says. By the way, the text is couched between two very dramatic, huge miracles that Jesus performed. It says, yet the news about him, meaning Jesus, the news about Jesus spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. And the next phrase is stunning. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Let me explain something to you in ministry. When you've got momentum and God's moving, this is the last thing your flesh wants to do. When you're on your job and things are humming and going great, whatever it is that kind of just cranks you up in a good way, when all that's going well and the wind is in your sails, that's what Jesus was experiencing. And in the midst of that, even healing the sick, and meeting the needs of others, there's this one little phrase that says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke 5.16. I thought about that verse in my own life. And I thought about that verse for us who call City Church their home. I thought about this verse for us as we take a look at 2021. And we resolve in our hearts to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. And my question is, how often do we do this? If Jesus did it often, how much more will we need to do this? And when I look at those two words, lonely places, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places. Here's what I can guarantee you. He did not have a smartphone. I promise you, for many reasons, I guarantee you, he did not have a smartphone. I think some about environments, finding a place where you go, where you're truly alone with yourself and God. My son and I were chatting about this recently, about how people just aren't alone anymore. When we have time alone, we'll put on a podcast. Nothing essentially wrong with that, but it blocks a whole lot of self-examination in the presence of God. What would it be like if every woman and man that called City Church their home said, I'm going to withdraw to a lonely place, and I'm going to pray. I'm going to do it often. I'm going to go by myself. Yes, we're called to grow together. The truth of it is, most times when we're alone, we're not alone. We have some media player, somehow something is still giving us input. When's the last time that we sat alone with God in a lonely place in prayer? Jesus did it often. One little phrase. Jesus withdrew to lonely places often to pray. I like that. Well, how do we put feet to our faith? First of all, in just a moment, we're going to pray. And as we pray, we are going to resolve to have a spiritual plan. That we're going to resolve, every woman and man is going to resolve whether or not you will be part of pursuit. 
the 21-day devotional that will begin next Sunday. But the other thing I want to encourage you with, there's a promise that Jesus makes. It's found in Luke chapter 11, verses 9 through 10. I want you to listen to his promise. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. You know what that is? That's a promise of ROI, return on investment. Jesus promises that if you resolve to grow spiritually, and in doing so you have a plan with goals, and you do it with others, what Jesus guarantees us here is that if we do that, he promises a return on investment. He guarantees it. If you knock, you seek, you're going to find. He promises it. I love that. Let's stand together. As we stand together, whether you're here in the sanctuary or you're at home or wherever you're at, you're watching this sermon. I want you to take a moment to close your eyes and open your heart. Daniel resolved not to defile himself and he pushed away from the king's table. What is it that God is speaking to you about right now? Spirit of God's faithful. The Holy Spirit is faithful to show us what our king's buffet is. Will you in this moment resolve to push away? But not just pushing away, but following the example of Jesus and committing to head to a lonely place often to pray. You're not just pushing away from something. You're also resolving to move towards something. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask that as we resolve in your presence that we would place on our hearts what it is that you're calling us to do and that we'll take action. Lord, I pray as we are resolving all over this room where women and men are making spiritual commitments, I pray that you would help us to walk out pursuit together, that we'd have a plan with goals, with people to encourage us and to strengthen us and hold us accountable. Lord Jesus, I ask that by your Spirit, you would seal the commitments and the resolves that are taking place in this room. With your strength, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.